0: All right, hello everyone. Welcome to Spring Boot Learning, the channel where you learn about Spring Boot. <laughs> the channel where you learn about Spring Boot and you have fun doing it. Now, don't forget to, before we get into this, uh, our fun live stream today here. I want you to subscribe and click on the bell icon so you don't miss anything, and follow us on Twitter at Spring Boot Learn. I would use Spring Boot Learning except in Twitter, that's absolutely too many characters, so it just doesn't work. So. Without further ado, I am going to bring in the one, the only Josh Long, aka Starbucks Man.
1: Morning. Well, I guess it's morning. It's not morning for you, is it?
0: It's morning. I don't know. It's probably five o'clock somewhere. I want to kick this off and ask you some uh, some hot questions here. Now, for those of you watching on the live stream, if you look in the uh, in the actual thing, there's a poll, and I'm going to ask Josh the same question. Which do you prefer, JDK17? or JDK eight.
1: Well oh, 17. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, not even close. Literally twice as good, more than twice as good if you count by numbers.
0: I tried to tell my wife that joke and she did not laugh.
1: Okay. No,
0: I said it's a joke, or is it?
1: If All even right. If, even if it's not funny, it's still the truth. So you can either have a joke okay, it's true or just true. it's funny it's true. Either way, it's true. That's
0: right. Okay. Which do you prefer, coffee or tea?
1: Yo, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, so I, <laughs> I had a hot moment in life where I was, I quit coffee, which it was fine. I, you know, I um, got, I got, I got a whole two years or whatever without, without touching a sip of coffee, but I'm back. I'm back on the wagon.
0: Uh, that, that looked very orangish in that cup there. As you were...
1: That's a pumpkin spice, uh, pumpkin cream cold brew. Um, and I got—I got to tell you—I was a little skeptical when Starbucks decided to start putting cocaine in every drink, but it's gotten—it it has worked. <laughs> Very good.
0: Accidents. I think I had one yesterday, not the hot kind. I'm—I identify with the guy on the TV show NCIS, where they—that episode where the AC system failed and everyone's cooking, and he's drinking a venti hot Starbucks in the midst of all that. I just laughed at that nonstop. Too real so which do you prefer reactive or what i like to call classic
1: programming style imperative yeah um yeah i mean reactive every day in in every day and twice on sunday you know like uh i I, it's it's a much more useful default it seems to me you know and obviously uh, there's three main things that bring it to the fore one is that it's uh more robust that is to say it's yeah. First of all, it gives you an abstraction that you can use to move work across different threads so it's more scalable. Second of all, it's the same abstraction, so you now have a single type you can use to interpose uh, things like retries and circuit breakers and all that good stuff. And third of all, um, it, there's it, because it's one kind of stuff, one kind of abstraction, one thing, it composes nicely. So it's actually less code than using uh, imperative work. First of all, there's less less to know, less to understand. You don't have to know a Kafka API versus RabbitMQ versus WebSockets versus REST versus whatever—it's just publisher all the way through, uh, and so that's nice. It's less code to get more results, and it's less logic and less brain power to get the get to the point where you understand the results. Uh, yeah, it's just—I don't know why—it's a discussion, you know.
0: It's fluxes all the way down. <laughs> I think I, I ran into I, I ran into two scenarios that really showed me the value of that, and I think I, I was working on. I was in well, I was, I was working on this and it was um, really cool in that uh, I was hooking up to WebSockets. web sockets for my camera re catch up here um, I was doing web sockets and I had to chat with Rawson about wait how do I hook into the how do I hook into the new sock the variation of the socket and it was basically it was all built on top of fluxes and once once I connected to it then it's just okay I'm just hooking one flux up to another flux to another flux and it's <laughs> It's, it's all the same Lego part put together to make incredibly cool stuff.
1: Right, yeah, like uh, 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 all, so much of the, 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 the thing, so much of the work that we think about when we think about microservices and building distributed systems is that glue code. I got a messages coming off of a Kafka stream. I want to send those messages to this WebSocket endpoint. They don't speak the same thing. They're not the same thing. So I have to write glue code and God help me if the, one of them goes faster than the other or one <laughs> of them stops working or whatever. Now I have to write that state machine. All that goes away, you know. It's just part of the uh, the abstraction is, and they're the same thing. And they know to, they know how to handle things like back pressure with each other and so on.
0: The other thing I'd run into is one time I was writing. Uh, I had to I had to brainstorm this new feature, and I was like, "Well, I kind of need to do this, this, and this." So let me let me do it reactively, and it's a lot like working with the Java eight stream when you when you take it apart, and so. Yeah. I started chaining the operations together, and 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 the compiler was like, "Wait, you don't you don't have this function right." So I went and got that function working, and then yeah. I got the next function to make it to make to appease the compiler, and then it worked the first time. <laughs> yeah. The process forced me to get the code right.
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you have to think about the step-by-step state transitions, which is not a bad thing anyway. And and then I I actually had a a, a brief uh, dalliance the other day in uh, the scholar world and they have something called cats effects, which is a, uh, a library for composing pipelines, right? And yeah, uh, Daniel
0: Spiewak's uh, project.
1: Yeah. And so that uh, was, it's really brilliant. And I, I, was, I was talking to somebody who knows a lot more than I surely about uh, cats effects. And, and um, he said uh, it was, it's nice because you can compose your pipelines and describe the the indiv- individual indiv- individual parts and uh, you can defer the execution to later. So you can pass around the pipeline and and people can compose on that and they can use it and they can iterate off of that, uh, but you can defer uh, the execution to later. I'm like, oh, that's, that really is exactly Reactor, right? That's that's Reactor, they, it's just, I'm sure they have a nicer syntax because of Scala and you can do all sorts of nice DSLs there and all that stuff, but it's nice to see that we all kind of arrive at the same ultimate goal, you know, Reactive uh, is awesome.
0: The guy posts really cool stuff and I'm lucky if I understand what he's talking about like 25% of the time. But uh it's it's some impressive stuff that. Be there. Now here now this one this is this is this is a very critical question so we need to need to think carefully to bring an answer. So which do you prefer the latest Dune movie or the new Foundation series?
1: I haven't I haven't started Foundation is it out yet? I I don't even know like I think they are on like episode
0: seven. They 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 put one out every Friday. Um because oh, so I'm so busy with the getting, doing stuff with the kids. I'm like, okay, tonight I'm gonna watch two episodes and catch it.
1: I gotta I gotta like, it'll probably be a decade before I catch up. I I, I was uh, I I had the Runa recently and a lot of bad. That's not great, but uh, while I was convalescing, I got to watch the Expanse. Now keep in mind this is August of 2021, and I hadn't yet managed to watch the Expanse, so. I tend to be half a decade behind, but I want to watch the foundation stuff. And uh, I saw the trailer, and I got excited about it. And I even said to myself, well, "I'm going to watch that so Who you knows? So I might get to it sooner. Dune, on the other hand, <sighs> I, I'm 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 still stuck on that one. Well, first of all, it was it wasn't like a it it wasn't the whole story. It was like a like a third of the story uh, of, of just that book. Even like it wasn't a um. So that was the first thing. I don't even know if I liked it because I just sort of like it finished the. it didn't even finish the pot, you know. Uh, and the second thing is, it's exactly like the book, which I think that's what I wanted. I mean, that's what we all say. We say it should be like the book. It's going to be exactly like the book. This was literally page for page, like the book. And uh, now I'm kind of not sure if that's you know maybe I should have been careful what I wished for. You know, it, it was don't you need to read the book to
0: i reached this metamorphosis that uh, I was brought to had this awareness brought to me that like, maybe you don't want the movie to be just like the book because then you already know what's going to happen. And so you want something new and exciting. And so I had fun reading ready player one. That was a page turning novel that I read a few years ago. And then when the movie came out, I I, I enjoyed that movie and I liked that. I didn't know what was coming. I hadn't, I kind of had a hint of it, but, that was, I thought they did a good job job oh, man. I enjoyed that.
1: It was good, and then you know what was great? Like it was it was, spe- it was visually spectacular. I mean, phenomenal. You know, and and I hear they already greenlit the second part. So
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know. I I don't know, man. It was let's kind of just like seventy percent five. Pre- I'm pretty sure it's good. I just don't. And know. in
0: ten years, and in ten years, you can live it in Mark Zuckerberg's uh, metaverse.
1: Oh yeah, that'll <laughs> that'll might that'll wipe the stink away. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to a comms person yesterday. I literally, like, I was out and about with some, uh, some customers, and we were at a a dinner, and I was just randomly striking up a conversation. We were just out and about, and I was talking to somebody here in San Francisco, randomly just met a person who also works in comms, you know, and uh, they don't, they, they seem to have the same cynical, she had the same cynical perspective as I did uh, uh, about that, that meta thing. I don't quite on the other hand, there maybe there is something to be said. I think Zuckerberg actually believes in the VR stuff, so maybe it's not a cynical thing. I don't
0: know. I don't. I'm going to withhold uh, too much um, vindictive commentary on the live stream because my hope is to get uh, monetized someday. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well. Uh, so, I do want to. Uh, that's awesome for a uh, opening round. I do. Uh, before we get into our our main headline topic that we have in the title Spring Boot 3 and JDK 17 I do want to let everybody know that the uh, the sponsor for today's episode is Pact Publishing if you go to pactpub.com and use the coupon code Greg Turn, um, you can find both the ebook and the paperback copies of my books including including this this historic novel this historic book on uh, reactive on Spring Boot 2 and reactive paradigm 35% off so you can go snatch, snatch a copy and um, I think that's actually good through the end of November. So go grab that. I'm not I need to have watched it here. And um and that's also now that I, I will warn you, that book was written four years ago. That's against Spring Boot 2.0. That was the first book to hit the market on Spring Boot 2.0. Um but uh if you stay tuned for about another 12 months, then you may be able to find another book at Fact Publishing called Learning Spring Boot 3.0. So I signed a deal with them where I'm going to start working on the next book. And that will be coming out when Spring Boot 3.0 is ready, which is far and away. So that should dovetail nicely into the topic of um, Spring Boot 3 and JDK 17. That was a whirlwind announcement from Jurgen coming at Spring 1 back in early September.
1: Yeah, Spring Boot 3 is going to be neat. That's uh that's good stuff. Uh I didn't, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm, uh, Spring Boot 3 obviously is is huge, no, uh, Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework 6, right, Spring Framework 6 is where I think the biggest pieces will be, Um. Uh, which is, that's pretty typical, right, Spring is always where the big things happen and then Spring Boot packages it and makes it accessible and brings the ecosystem into it, right, uh, but uh, yeah, that's going to be, oh, I can't wait, what's your favorite thing?
0: my favorite thing i i am i am really drawn into the um you know, go <laughs> hello dan have t- to dan vegas in the chat channel there and he said we're tw- he said we're clearly twins so <laughs> dressed for the occasion which I'm gonna have, i'll circle back to that in a second the the java 17 thing that just i don't know there's a there's so much stuff in there i, I haven't even absorbed it all but the, the the java set the records i don't remember which version had the records in it some of them may have had it in preview mode but that's something that uh people run to project lombok to get or yeah. kotlin or scala or groovy or they like i'm tired of the job of boilerplate just to make a, yeah a, an anemic domain object or something and now immutable records here for you
1: yeah records need uh what else, yeah, and actually by the way that's already well So 17 is. Uh, it, but even though it just came out a few months ago, it's already well supported in all of Spring. I haven't encountered a use case where I needed to do anything special. It just, you know, you can build our socket and endpoints and HTTP rest, rest endpoints and uh, uh, GraphQL endpoints and uh, whatever. It all just works. That's nice. Um. So, yeah, the only thing I haven't tried is JPA. I suspect that probably isn't great, but that's not our fault. That's just. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe I should be clear though. When I say Java seventeen, I mean everything from Java nine up through seventeen. The whole, yeah. you know, if you're jumping from Java eight up to Java seventeen. There's so much, in there's enough stuff to go read tutorials for the next twelve months.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, var is my. I use that all day and twice, and again twice a day. I just love var. I'm a big huge var fan. The only thing is, okay, so obviously I'm a big fan of JDK. I'm obviously a big fan of Java team and GraalVM and all that good stuff. And I can't believe they give that away, right? I can't believe they just give away Java. It's right? billions of dollars worth of software that we get to use for free and it's open source. I mean, we are spoiled, right? Just absolutely spoiled. Um, and I kind of, and I can appreciate what they're trying to do with Java, right? They're right, they're walking a, a tightrope that nobody in the history of computer, computer science has ever had to walk, which is to preserve 25 plus odd on, plus on years of compatibility uh, of, while keeping the language uh, more uh, more in line with some contemporary languages like most contemporary languages like Kotlin and you call them all. So that that all said, I really wish the var thing was a little bit more consistent. Ah uh. um, the functions so let's say you have a function, a Java HL function, and <clears throat> you know in, in, in Java functions aren't a first class thing. They're, they're it's a little bit of syntax sugar for a, a single method interface, right? And um so if you want to have like var in you know, var my id equals three okay great var my name equals quote unquote you know blah, whatever and then and then then you want to have a function you can say var my function equals new function string integer parentheses curly bracket opening the method blah 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 right and, and you have to like define the full inline function inline class definition for a function or you can say function string integer my function equals so you've got var blah var, var, and then function it's just very you know yeah i can't ocd i can't My ocd doesn't approve you know uh, i like to call them just bar or val, very nice and clean
0: i think shoot i even remember it's i never saw anybody use it even us but i think project lombok even had a bar thing in there and i, I still don't rock out worked, but um i mean in, i'm intrigued by that it's it's interesting for something so simple it's drawn a lot of ire and venom it seems <laughs> are evil or something I don't know. I don't know That that's the problem but use like everything use it strategically for one thing don't go rewrite everything using it just like that's that's a story like with optional from java 7 you know we were like optional it's here i'm going to use it everywhere and it does have an overhead cost with all that boxing and unboxing
1: yeah I'll, I'll, I'm, i might i might disagree with you just on that one other point if you want to have a good time pour yourself a drink and then rewrite stuff with bar. It's a good way to spend a Saturday afternoon. It's very cathartic. You can Marie Kondo that code. It's great. Do that. Uh but if you're if you have other more important things to do, it's
0: fine. Oh. Uh, something else I haven't gotten my hands on, but I've seen it's definitely in there is the uh, the case matching, the, that 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 you know, write a case statement and yeah. it's an expression, just assign it to a variable. So it's Turnery, ternary operator on steroids is the only way I think about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a smart case statement, a smart switch statement, which makes sense. That's the way you talk about it. I don't love that they're talking about it in terms of a uh, smart uh what do they call it? pattern matching. That's not pattern matching. It, it it's not there yet, you know. We we keep seeing it in the in the there's even a preview feature which begins to look like pattern matching, but it's just not there. It's not real, it's not like it's not pattern matching in any sense of the word. So um that's a little, you know. We'll we'll get there. Just don't be confused, people. When you look for that, when you see people from the Java team talking about pattern matching, they're talking about a feature that you definitely want, and it's and what they're talking about is useful, but it's not pattern matching. It's not the same thing. It's definitely a little different.
0: You know. I'm a little, you know, and I'm a little leery that I think I saw like something arise in the amongst the pattern matching stuff in the Scala community because that's like one of the big that was one of the biggies. It's like come to Scala, we have pattern matching. Um,
1: yeah. and, and and bacon and there's this What we have is, is not that. I wish it was, but it's not.
0: You know. And I don't. I don't remember if this was. I don't know if this was even from Rod Johnson's comment. Yeah, that he did a controversial presentation at. I that was OSCON for several years ago, or maybe ScalaCon or something. But there's something like people would start. They'd have this pattern about I need to decode, and here's the three. The, the algebraic types would say here's your three types, and so they put a pattern match here, and then here, and then they they'd have the same pattern. Sprinkled all throughout the code, and that was a distinct code smell. That's like you probably should pull that behind a method and just have this method use yeah. a method to wrap it. So if you add to the algebraic types down the road, you don't have to go update in fifty places. And that's not that's not pattern matching's fault. That's not smart cases fault. That's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. DRY. Still applies the
1: magic <laughs>
0: some of the best patterns the compiler cannot save us. We need to implement, we need to implement stuff correctly. we need need to implement some stuff. Right. Um,
1: I hope so. Right. Like, but that said, so back to what you're saying, yes, smart switch expressions, good stuff. I use it all the time. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's actually, uh, what's it? It I I I, it's nice. It's actually, there's not, there's nothing I could want from it that you know, like the Kotlin version is the same thing; it's identical. So I'm, I'm. It's not just like really close. It's it's exa- almost. It's not the same syntax, but it's functioning exactly the same. Same thing for um, smart auto casting, right? Smart uh, uh, instance yes, stuff, right? Smart uh, instance stuff, that's super cool, and actually, actually, it's better than the feature that it copied from Kotlin, right? So you can say if, you know, uh, I have like an object, object x is equal to you know, string, whatever, right? And I can say, if x instance of string, then space and then add a variable name, and then that becomes the uh, the um, the uh, variable in that context, in the instance check, right? And then, so you can then use it, you can say x dot, or, you know, my x, whatever, you know, the thing that you had after instance of string, space, my x, right? That my x is now downcast to string. In Kotlin, um, if you do that, if you do like a, a check like that, you don't get to assign a local variable. You can use the existing variable and it's downcasted already for you, but you don't have the original one. So you can actually create a new one in that local context uh, in Java with a new variable. It's a new it's like a it's like they created a new variable of the type that you're trying to check for, assign the existing reference and cast the check and give it a new name. So the existing variable of of java land object still works, but now you have a new one in the context of that instance that is checked, that the instance of check. Which is super cool. That's actually more powerful than the copy version. So Good stuff, really good. Good stuff, Java.
0: one-two punch.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan. And then they had a uh, they have a new uh, HTTP server that was a few year few years ago. They have um, multiline strings, which I use all the time, all the time. Like it's that's oh uh, yeah. Can't even believe that's here. It's here. You can use it. It's in Java. It's a GA released, not a preview. But just multiline strings, var and uh, records are. Yeah.
0: Is that the way we're yeah. that came through I got a ding on my iPhone. okay um, so multi-line and multi-line string. so this is this is the way we're going to lure the Python developers into Java.
1: yes yeah or or, or every other language except for Java basically like here doc, syntax and PHP and and Ruby and Python and uh, you know JavaScript you know JavaScript you can do backtick and then lots of lines of code and then backtick and that's actually a multi-line string you know they have it as well it doesn't surprise
0: me that does not surprise me. Javascript is full of fun surprises.
1: Yeah, but C++ has multi-line strings.
0: I don't remember the last time I wrote C++ code. But.
1: I know, but the fact that they have a richer, I mean, they've always had more syntax in Java, and that's not a good thing, yeah, right? it's, it's much no. much more uh, Byzantine language. Uh, but the fact that they have more fun syntax on the new stuff that like we've all been coming for, they got that before, that's a little, they got lambdas before we did, they got auto types, like auto x equals, Five, whatever, just like in C sharp, they got that before us. We got var, but in, in C sharp, it's auto instead of var.
0: Well, you know, and uh, you know, I go hang out on Reddit from time to time, and you know, it might it's my own fault, but uh, in some of these discussion threads on either Java or object oriented programming or Spring stuff, people always ask, is this a good is this a good time to actually try and become a professional Java developer? You know. It's, and I'm like, it's it's better than ever. There's more more stuff to pick from. But I have to tell you, the language is simple. It's actually designed, it was designed to be simple. And that's part of, I think, why it rose to such success. It was very systems oriented. And it didn't have all these, you know, as you said, like Byzantine features like you would have in C++. And writing. and
1: now, you know, in, in the lens of 2021, it seems a little Byzantine. Uh, but- yeah, what can you do? It, it started off small, and it sprouted features that, that are now often mismatched and incoherent relative to each other, uh, like I mentioned the bar versus the lambda thing. That, you know, yeah, you know. But uh, still, it's a really nice language. Obviously, it's way better than so many of the alternatives. It's just not what it could be yet. But they're moving on they're working on it, aren't they? Every every six months now we get a
0: Yeah, months. and say say what you will about Oracle or you know, fire your criticisms. They when they took but when they took control of Java, they put it on a evolutionary track that was non existent under some microsystems. It's, rocket, evolutionary it's,
1: rocket. You know,
0: Yeah, some of us working on things like Spring Framework or other toolkits and stuff, you know, we're having to bear the brunt of some of that to work on that. And you know, I'm in the midst of trying to update Spring Web services to work with Jakarta ee nine, which is I really but, um But nevertheless, we're, you know, where it's like, fine, okay, we don't, let's pull stuff out of the JDK that no one's used for 15 years. We don't need that. Let's, let's, and then let's add new stuff. Let's actually debate it. And anytime I read a thread post from Brian Getz, I'm like, this, this guy understands big language development and sustainment. I mean, he's way down what I could, with rock being able to do that kind of task.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't envy his position, having to carefully steward this amazing, you know, Titanic-sized ship of a language. Uh, you just mentioned something: throwing away parts of the JVM that uh, they are the people that, are, that people that, that people aren't using. And you're right; it's, they're doing that as a, as part of the standard. But what I th- one of the things I really quite going to like about native images, ground beam native images, is that it throws away everything you're not using. So in theory, it doesn't matter how big the JDK you start with is, the resulting binary only has, but it's only linked against the thing you actually end up using. That's it. It's just super, it's the best solution. Now it's not like, do I carve out my JRE in terms of modules, or do I carve it out in terms of deprecated APIs, or, you know, extension projects like $X, or it, there's no more discussion about which dimension you should use right. model, Because Everything that's not being used gets chucked out, and it's really great, you know. That's what JLink, in theory, should be able to make it possible, but at a more granular, course, level. Uh, but Jenkins is, you know, you have to. I think you have to still buy into modules for that, right? Like, a,
0: yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many people really want to do the task of. I want to. I want a micro. I want a micro JDK kernel, if you will. I. I, I do. I feel like I, I have to go talk to Dave Sire to under, even understand what that involves. But I think the accessibility of Spring Native and native right. images is something everybody wants to get their hands on. Let's. Yeah. Let's shrink footprint, let's speed up startup time, because that immediately translates into reducing my cloud footprint and saving dollars. Yeah, exactly. But that feels more esoteric and almost mm-hmm. academic in a sense.
1: Right. And it's, so yeah, you take that plus the new speed increases in uh, Java 17. And it is, by the way, very fast, markedly faster. I got free like 25% just on every app, you know, wow. we compared to like Java 8 or whatever it is crazy you should try that don't don't take my word for it just bench, just download it and install it it's a ga long term supported version of java there's no reason not to it has the same status actually it's more recommended than java 8 right it's more recommended than any other version of java out there in production right and it'll stay so for years so you have no reason not to try it but uh but yeah they, they, it's fast they've really tuned this thing i can't believe i, I you know my apps are with te- i have like Spring Boot apps that start up in like half a second, you know, that are web apps with actuator and, you know, database, embedded database, like in, in memory embedded database. Um, half a second now, crazy, 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 crazy. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to throw
0: up here before we actually have a question that I'm gonna field to you, but I first wanted to let everybody know that uh, earlier Josh talked about amazingly how we get all this stuff like Java 17, all these versions of Java, they're free. The stuff we get it for free. I. I put out a video about six weeks ago and it was aimed at you know how to become a pro developer. What kind of tools do you need? What what do you need to get yourself to get in the game? And I started trying to list all the core tools to go buy and it, it, it came up very thin on what you have to buy versus what you could just download. Go get, and it's in this video here, go get IntelliJ IDEA Community Edition and get Spring Tool Suite and go grab VS Code, grab them all and take them each for a spin. That all that you can get the ID, all the IDs in a Community Edition for free um, the JDK is free the you know the operating you can go you can get a go get set it up on Linux if you want to um, what you really almost the only thing you have to go pay for is go get yourself a machine and you can probably find a go to a discount box store and find something it's it's amazing how you can get on a path to becoming a pro developer and it doesn't cost you tens of thousands of dollars
1: yeah 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 and get a build tool but like maven right that'll be yeah yeah that,
0: and that's free the sd I sdk man is what i used to manage i need you know job 8 i need job 17. sdk man's a free tool that does that that helps you manage all that for you
1: um it's time to be alive and all the all the infrastructure you could ever want to run you can run inside of docker which is which is for the moment free but that was that's a whole other thing it? Right? that's going to become not free and what is it like a year half a year from my dad so now, I'm not
0: tracking the future of. I'm very intrigued because um, one of our former teammates, um, Sergey, went went over to become the CEO for Atomic Jar. And ten years ago, talking about Docker, I was like, "Meh." But today, I'm very interested in a, you know test solution built on top of Docker. Yeah. Where it's like whistle up any image you want for a specific test case, and I'm like, "Whoa, this is." I think it's almost revolutionary. So in between, well, that's that's test container specific, but where that's gonna be, where Docker's going, I don't know if Docker's ever going to become profitable.
1: No, well, I mean, they're, I think they're gonna lose community in, in addition to money if they, the, you know, the Docker desktop, if you work for a large company, which by the way, you and I do, of course, then you can't use Docker desktop. And I forget when the threshold is, but it's, they have like a grace period or something. And as soon as that happens, we need to find something else. So I've been sniffing around, looking at other things like Colima and things like that. but. Still, so, you know, not a great situation. Thanks, Docker. The the last bit of goodwill you had was uh, squandered on you know forcing everybody who worked it just happens to use it, even though they work for a large company. You know? it's not good.
0: And it's like I never, you know, ask companies to give away livestock and barrel everything for free, but there needs to be a certain amount of give and take. On okay, here's what here's what we're giving away for free, and here's what it's paid for, and you you can't squander your community investments on in that that's sloppy business in my opinion exactly
1: exactly
0: yeah. now Crazy. we've gotten some questions here firing in here's the first one and i am going to let josh pick this one up as to which do you prefer the the at annotations i guess like spring nvc or the functional configuration for i'm presuming things like web controllers
1: oh uh, well yeah i don't know it's we're not, we don't really have a lot of functional config in the Spring ecosystem, if we got some, like you can use the Spring integration, integration flow, DSL, that's kind of functional. You can use the router functions of this, you know, the Spring MVC.fn uh, or Spring Webflex.fn, basically the functional style uh, route, you know, HTTP endpoints, you can use, Spring Cloud Gateway has a nice DSL based on the route locator builder. So, I mean, there's some DSLs and these are just fluid, you know, they're not really functional, I guess, but um, yeah, I, I like I like DSLs with lambdas, if that's what you're asking, right? I like that. Uh and, and kudos to the Spring Security team who uh, a couple years ago reworked the Spring Security DSL, which was notoriously like hard to parse if you didn't do a lot of work to indent things. Uh they uh they, now it takes lambda. So there's builders and there's like context that you can use to then configure things. I quite like that. That DSL, that rework DSL is really nice. Now it's very clear that this is a subordinate scope to the one on the outside, doesn't matter what your IDE does to the indents and the formatting, it's still very clear, you know? Um, so I I like those, obviously I want more of those, but obviously Spring is a, you know, it's an object oriented framework. It's a framework that is uh, open for extension and closed for modification. And the way you do that extension is through objects and you slot in things of well-known shape into well-known places. And you, that means you have to have objects. And if you're gonna have objects, you might as well have as, as, as little work as possible to declare those objects. And, that's where annotations come in, you know? So I guess, I, I guess my answer is, I'm, I'm annotations by default, I'm, I'm just happy, I'm very happy there. When, when on occasion I get a functional DSL I can use, I, I, I quite like it, but uh, you know, I could have done those things with a functional DSL without them, I, there were ways to do that before. Whereas mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing everything that Spring does without annotations.
0: All right, let's fire right into our next question here. Hey, what books do you suggest for advanced Java and Spring programming? I uh, will preempt it by saying, by the way, our featured guest here, Mr. Josh Long, has actually written several books, including his latest one was Reactive Spring. That that was that last year that came out.
1: Yeah, yeah, Reactive Spring. That's that, but that's a that book is focused on reactive, so it's not a general purpose introduction to all things Spring. Uh, obviously, our colleague, uh, you've got a good book, right? but I think the the gold standard in our ecosystem is uh, Craig's uh, book, right? Thinking in Java. Uh, no, that's Bruce the so Craig's is a, a Spring Action, right? Or is it Spring? And that's boot- right. He's
0: put out I don't know six editions. I've lost count. Yeah, Craig Walls is also on the Spring team. He's written Spring in Action, and he's uh, like somewhere in the middle there, around the fourth one. He, he did create one called Spring Boot in Action. And, I don't know if the title didn't click, but he basically he's he's now around on round six. So if you're if you're looking for a real solid book, go grab that one too.
1: Um, and for Java though, for advanced, just Java. Mm-hmm. I was thinking in Java. That's I'm a huge fan. I would uh, recommend that one. That's a huge book. It's a page turner. It's like only a thousand pages, or whatever. Uh, you know, keep it under your pillow. It's awesome. It's a uh, it's Bruce Eccle. He wrote it back in mm-hmm. the nineties. And uh, it, it's how I got my, it's how I learned Java. It's, it's how I learned to think in, in terms of what, what Java expects as opposed to just writing C code in Java, right? So
0: They kind of just spoil it in the title there, don't they?
1: <laughs> but it's a great book. Oh, it's so good. See, um, if you buy the second edition or onward, uh, a young wayward Josh Long sent in a letter saying how much he adored that book. And it got printed in the second edition reader comments in the, in the first few pages of that book.
0: It's a little challenging to keep up on books like i've had people frame the question to me what book did you learn from and i'm like well the, the answer is not useful to you because i first learned java from java in a nutshell based on java like 1.2 okay and that i would not go get that book because it's it's an antique and i think the last printed copy was shipped to the smithsonian but um so when you look at you know what's current what's up to date you know a real you know, today it's, you know, try to learn as much Java 17 as you can because, like, I think the whole ecosystem is rising to it. But at the minimum, learn Java 8. I think I was in my last, in a previous book I put out, I was showing lamb, Java 8 Lambda functions and how to plug stuff in. I didn't slow down and write out in intimate detail what a Lambda function was. And somebody dinged me on a review saying, well, how could you assume your readers know Lambda functions? Or so, and I'm like, if, if you don't, if you don't, you can't read it and, grasp what's happening this may not be the book for you so right
1: yeah uh, so blue circle just go find his java books though that's what i'm trying to say like it, it's uh, it's not it doesn't have the latest and greatest syntax but if you want to know how to think about java and i think you might even have like another book he's got a bunch of other books i don't know what happened exactly but he did a bunch of books that were called thinking in blah blah, blah thinking in c++ thinking in java and then i think he decided to go the self-publishing route which is great but uh so maybe these books are not the same as the old ones i don't know like but it, yeah like he's got an atomic scholar he's got a, i think he's got a kotlin book he's working on like you know i, I can think of nobody better to teach you advanced java than who's that right that uh, uh he, he's interesting he came from the, the c++ community in the C++ community. He was on the standards board in the chair, and he was also, you know, one of those people that really got into the language and uh, helped drive its evolution. Uh, and then he, uh, you know, he knew why people wrote C though. He knew about how exciting it was as relative to C to build the right object oriented code. So he explored thinking in C in terms of, hey, I'm going to learn how to write object oriented code. This is going to be, you know, useful here. And there's certain paradigms that the language designers intended for you to understand and work in. And so we're gonna talk about C++ in terms of those paradigms. Well, the same thing applies to Java. Java is not C++. Java is a very different language and it has its own paradigms, right? And so that was first and foremost in the book. So he actually has this very, he's, because he knows what people are, what they designed it for, He gives you that, that guided tour in terms of what the intent was. And then he's able to say, look, knowing that this was the intent, how does it, how does it fall out? How does it, how does it work? It's okay. And then where things, were not intended. Are those features, you know, as useful? And uh, and he can say, yeah, this is not great. Like he's not a, a you know, uh, a Java enthusiast just for the sake of being an enthusiast. He, he's got decades of experience at the highest levels of, of language design, so he's able to come into and say, yeah, this doesn't work great. That's okay, but it's not supposed to either, you know. Um, really great book. Uh, but he's also in Python. He was in Python for decades, right? He's, that's the other thing I love about him. He's, just, he's very willing to say, yeah, C was is no longer a great option. Uh, I used Java, I, I did, um, you know, he did Python work and open source and did meetings and all that stuff, you know, conference talks and all that, you know, there's no loyalty, un- there's no undue loyalty, no no do, no undue uh, affinity for a given language, that's what I'm gonna say.
0: That's right, straight talk all the way. Uh, thanks to Sadiq and Julius for posting the questions. We have, keep the questions coming people and we'll, we'll get them up here and we'll, we'll knock them down. So from Aslam says, Hey, when do you use reactive? Is it only for I/O intensive stuff or for CPU intensive stuff? And how do you measure the how to measure the performance and fine tune a reactive system? That that almost is like its own live stream right there to tackle all this stuff. But let's see if we can uh, dig dig down into this a little bit.
1: Uh, oh yeah, okay. Well, there. So, like I said earlier, there's three things that it gives me. Right, it gives me the ability to write code that composes well, the ability to write code that uh, uh, is resilient. Basically, if there's a failure, it does the right thing. Uh, and then finally, it gives me the really right code that's as efficient as possible. Reactive is not for speed. Right? It's not about making any one transaction faster. In fact, it might be paradoxically just a little bit slower because there's a little, there might be some overhead associated with context. With so reactive gives you those three benefits. Scalability, composition, robustness. And so if you want your systems to be more robust, forget about performance, right? Don't think about that you just want your code to do the right thing in, in terms of calling another service or calling another database or whatever, then use Reactive. If you don't care about that, if you just like to have applications that fall over nearly, really random times, then keep using imperative items. it's fine. Uh, if you want to write code, and by the way, I'm being a little facetious there, I'm being a little cheeky there, but so much of what is interesting to me about Reactive programming is that suddenly all these APIs that Spring helps give you, right? Like we're stuff from the spring team, like spring retry, right, and the circuit breaker integration, all that stuff, suddenly that isn't needed anymore. Reactive, you know, it's not just a a great solution. It actually means that because we had all these different solutions that you needed to use for imperative IO, those no longer are needed. They're just assumed and built in the reactor. So it's not just like this is better than the distinguished competition. This is actually better than doing certain things in in the imperative way as well. So it's less code, less libraries, less... Concepts is just better in, in, that way. So that's one thing. Um, it's also, uh, also better to have, uh, to use reactive programming for, um, for like I said, for robustness, right? For uh, uh, sorry, for com- for composition. I, I, like I said earlier, if you're writing code where you have to deal with more than one thing, you're going to appreciate having just one type, right? We have Java Collection and Java Stream and the JDK, uh, but they don't answer the question of what if my data is unbounded? Or what if it comes at, you know, latently? What, what if there's latency fly? What if there's more than one request that happens over an hour or a day or whatever? These are terrible scenarios in which to use a, a collection. And so in the JK, you all these different APIs that are used to communicate ongoing data. And, and Spring, again, because we didn't have this core abstraction before, Spring makes it very easy to, to do this. We had the, um, the message listener containers. Well, of course, that's a little bit different for every single message program. Right? The message listener container abstraction is a callback based on when data arrives. You don't need that with reactive APIs. You have it built into the core abstraction. So suddenly you can throw away all this like, well, I should use this message listener container for this and this one over here for that and this one over here for this. It all goes away. It's just publisher of T, right? Uh, so again, you you, you you winnow down considerably the, the, the surface area like the different APIs, the different things that you have to keep in your head and the life cycles that you have to keep in your head, all that goes away with reactive code. So these two answers, hopefully I, hopefully you're, you're you're sensing something interesting here, which is these two motivations for using Reactive have nothing to do with performance or scale. It's not about machine outcomes. It's about better code. It's cleaner, more robust, stabler code. Um, that's, that's when I would use it. And then finally, yes, it's also the best for building uh, scalable systems. And what I mean by that is when you write uh, Reactive code, you write it in terms of well-understood transitions in state and the runtime the scheduler knows when those transitions need to happen and in between the raindrops in between each of those transitions if there's nothing happening if there's nothing to be to be done it moves the work to the background and moves on and lets something else work on that thread and so that makes it more scalable because now you're never sitting there on a the thread mm-hmm. just waiting for the waiting for the next byte to arrive. You're always always doing something. Um, and so you can do a lot more you can handle a lot more requests with a lot fewer resources, right? Uh, and that's great too. And the part of that, of course, that, that use case, part of that will get better with Project Loom, right? Project Loom will help with that. Um, so that's great, right? That, that solves, Project Loom solves half of that use case, which is I want uh, to make better use of uh, of idle threads, right? Um, but it doesn't solve those other two use cases, which is I wanna have a more robust and cleaner code. You're still dealing with threads and countdown matches and semaphores and, executors and runnables and all this stuff. So does that answer your question? It's not just for IO intensive, but, but by the way, for CPU stuff, you can still use Reactor for CPU bound stuff, right? Lots of things take CPU, your, you know, Slack takes CPU time, right? Your, <laughs> your, your cryptography takes CPU time, right? Uh, like you're gonna do those things and there are mechanisms you can use to make sure that when you sit on the CPU, you're effectively blocking a thread. That's the first and only acceptable Use of a blocking thread is when you're actually doing something on the CPU, right? That's okay, and even that with reactive APIs, you can background that work. You can put it on a thread pool that's designed to be uh, to be uh, for the CPU for scalable, you know, thread-bound things. It's
0: a paradigm shift to to pick it up, so I think people, I think people that maybe at first blush get, or maybe perhaps are a little intimidated by it. You know, you know, if you've got out there, if you're watching, you you've got an opinion on reactive, go ahead and throw it in the comments. but uh it's kind of a paradigm shift that you pick up but once you realize what it's doing you're like oh wait a minute this is this is simpler and the way josh is saying this the surface api is shrunk down because every when everything speaks reactive and by this we're talking about reactive streams um it, it does become easier to kind of link it all together and to, to make it uh, cohesive i put a I posted a link out there for uh Watching, if you want to catch, I made a video some time ago, kind of going into detail just what is reactive programming on that, and you know, go check that out for follow up because it really helps me get the watch time on this channel. <laughs> um. Oh, indeed, I feel like I've seen this question. So, hey, um we got posted. What book do you suggest to learn Java Spring and be good like you? By the way, big hearts, <laughs> guys. So the suggestion here is uh, rewind, rewind the live stream here and catch it because uh, we went into detail on that uh, a little bit earlier in there. So I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna say thanks to everybody for coming in. Keep keep posting your questions. And while you, I'll come up with another question. I am gonna hurl a question at Josh and say, for those of you may not aware, this this guy at least pre-COVID trekked around the world, literally, not figuratively, to go attend conferences. Uh, team meetings all kinds of uh, endeavors to share the love of spring and so i'm he's given lots of live demos he's a he's a he epitomized the concept of uh, having a single slide in his deck and instead switching over the ide and doing a live presentation and so he has glued together probably every combination in spring portfolio you can think of and i'm curious you know what were some of the craziest things that you put together to fashion a demo
1: Um. Yeah, I don't know i I my presentations and, well that's not true. my I do live presentations that are for general purpose audiences about whom I know very little uh, and, uh, and um, or who often cannot choose whether they're there or not right they're they're in once they've entered the room it's very awkward for them to just like get up in the middle of a presentation so they're kind of committed so I want people in my live presentations to get as much as possible so I show as much as possible that's a breath first approach right Whereas I have my spring tips YouTube videos, which are deep dive focused, you know, explorations of different topics in terms of a particular thing. And you don't have to watch them. You're watching on YouTube, you can self select out and just choose something else, right? So you're not committed. If you don't want to deep dive on a particular thing, don't. Nobody's going to know, nobody's going to be offended. It's fine, right? And so when I do my live presentations, they tend to be rolling explanations or explorations of of all sorts of different stuff, right? And uh, uh, because of that, I, I, you know, I can cover dozens of different libraries in a forty-five minute or fifty-minute span. Um, I I used to be I used to do that as well before Spring Boot. right? Spring Boot was the was the with the firewood before Spring Boot because I work as a advocate. My whole thing has always been the whole of Spring, not just one project. And where 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 our engineers are reasonably, quite reasonably, obviously, you know, very good at one. Or two projects on which they focused, right? Uh my whole thing has been taking these things together. And that used to be a simple problem. That used to be something I could do even before Spring Root made it just so drop-dead simple, right? It used to be I I, I would to show all these things in integration, and because I would find bugs, because I'd find uh you know, integration issues, I was like the human integration test on the team for a long time. Uh now, you know, you got Spring Boot. That's not it's not magic, it just works. It's, obviously it's gonna work. Uh so just start that swing.io, add your dependencies and you know, you've got something that works. And if there's no mm-hmm. question about what version you're using. There's no question about whether these libraries are compatible with each other, it just works. So as to what combination, what particular combination, yeah, I don't know, go, go. you know, Spring Boot is, it's insane. The, compa- the matrix of things you can combine with impunity uh, yeah. is, you know, down the floor and out the door, down the floor and out the door, you know, it's just a long, long list. Um, so craziest I've done, I've built apps that are JavaScript and Kotlin in the same session. I've built apps that are, um, I didn't, I, uh, every time I feel like i would read JavaScript successfully, I feel like I deserve a pat on the back for that because that's <laughs> terrible. We all do. Yeah, it's a terrible thing to do to a person you like. Uh, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't feel particularly impressed by the combinations of Spring stuff in it all because of Spring Boot, but whenever I bring in some of the language, right, uh, I did, you know, non-JVM language, right? Yeah, I, I, like I, I've written, I've, I've got talks where I've actually written like a, a dozen or two dozen lines of Bash script live, which is not great. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. It's it's not the big stuff. It's not the let's build a system with five different services and and message queues and brokers and databases and languages and technologies in Spring. That's not hard. That's re- re- refreshingly easy. It's the, I also need to build this little tiny JavaScript app, you know, and uh, I have no confidence there. I don't feel like that's a great way to build anything at all ever. So I I get a little bit uh, apprehensive. It'd be nice if when we build our languages, or it'd be nice if we built our, you know, banking websites and uh, our, you know, financial investment websites and languages that understood floating points, for example. So I, I just feel like one
0: of these days that'll be JavaScript, but it's not now. Um, what do we have here? Um, so oh hadm's oh, uh recognizing one of one of your favorite doctors. You've listed multiple in the past, I can remember. Uh, oh, yeah. Um Dr. Venkat Um is Dr. Venkat
1: He's the OG, oh, he's the best of the best. He's he's uh we're all apostles in his stead. I I,
0: <laughs> I think I remember the last time I spoke at Dev Nexus on site when I went down there, I was like oh, I'm going to give a presentation, and it's at the same time as Vencad, so maybe I'll have five people make it to mine. Ah, and, I, and he's such a phenomenal speaker. Of course, they booked him for six slots at that conference. I went and watched a couple of them, and I'm like, and I saw why that people went there.
1: He, uh, so, okay, he and I routinely used to speak at a conference called, the uh, well, it's now the International, but it used to be the Great Indian Developers Summit. And this conference is a multi-paradigm conference. So you have some days that are like net and then web and like mobile and java or jvm or whatever, right so it's not like uh, it's it's meant to be you know bring your all, all you keyboard people come on over we've got something for you there's something guaranteed for you and uh i'll never forget i looked at the schedule one day uh one one trip to, uh, to india a few years ago like i don't know eight years ago forever and there on the schedule was dr supermanium having a talk at every hour in every track so it didn't like it's every day, like if you did one talk per hour for all the hours, no matter what the track. So if it was mobile, .net, uh, JavaScript, uh, and and JVM, he had a talk in all those categories, and they're all phenomenal. And he it was a two day conference, or maybe it was three days. It was it, you know, there's 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 Doctor Superman, and then there's everybody else. You know, there's not even close. All Are right, they- let's
0: go to uh here's another hot one. Wait a minute, I was gonna. Let's get this question up here first. What do you think about J Hipster?
1: Uh well trailing thought. Thanks for the very kind words. Uh uh comparing me to Dr. Superman. I just that makes me nice. Makes me feel nice. Thank you. Uh what do you think about J Hipster? Oh yeah. Um did you see that Rabel, Matt Rabel and I just got that to work in Spring Native? That's cool, right? Like you can actually use J Hipster uh with Spring Native. That was actually that took some doing because <laughs> there's some there's some things you have to do there. It doesn't. It's not 100%. The only thing that didn't work out of the box uh, were the. Well, there's a couple things that didn't work out of the box, but the only thing that was like irredeemably like we couldn't get to work yet was the Open API integration with Springfox. But even that, that's going to improve soon. You'll see. Um, so, yeah, I like. I mean, JHipster's. Uh, you know, I I don't use it, but it, it's nice. It's you can you can build applications if you want to get started with JavaScript. I think it has a lot of value there. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's a to me. It's a. I wish they would put all that stuff that gets code generated for you, except for the entities, perhaps or whatever. Like all that framework stuff that gets code generated. I wish that would all just go back into the framework. They even have a J framework that sits on top of Spring Boot, but for some reason they insist on dumping all that stuff into your Java code, uh, and so you have this mix of like some stuff that's frameworky stuff that's in the class files and some that's code in your Java code, which just you know, there's that, and the other thing I don't I don't quite love is uh, it, it encourages you to order your packages by by uh by role, right? So controllers and services and DAOs and whatever. And it, that's not that's not how I build software. So I don't use it. But it's if you're trying to get JavaScript and you want to, like a real build for your JavaScript and you want to have a Spring Boot backend, uh, that's great. You know, it, it works very well for that. Uh, I would refactor the backend considerably. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it works good. And if you want to use it with Spring native, like I said, go check out, just Google, Matt Rabel, Josh Mall, and find the presentation that we did in the blog that we wrote up on the Octa blog, I think, uh, showing all the steps there. And that process will get even better. And I expect he's probably even working on a plugin to automate that even further still. So no, that's good, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I also think it's real popular because I think it fills a niche of people wanting like, I need to get started. I need to build this turnkey e-commerce site. I want to use Spring Boot. Where, where am I going to get something that provides me a full stack solution? And so it really is like, okay, we're gonna build the front end and the back end, you know, and it's, you know, that's an incredible need. I, you know, I work on framework code, I work on Spring Team. My job isn't to build, you know, coolhotwebsite.com, I need to build the, the backend tools that support it like in Spring Data, Spring Web Services and stuff. So it's not for me, but it may be for thee. Um, got another question come in. Josh and Greg, what are your thoughts on starting with Kotlin instead of Java for a developer with less knowledge of Kotlin? Um, I'm gonna throw out my, my elementary opinion here and see what uh, and we'll see what Josh's opinion is on it. Um, Kotlin looks really cool. It's uh, intriguing. I I remember sitting down and reading the reference manual and I found it very entertaining. That was that was like three years ago. Um the Java 17, in a sense, is is starting to come and take their lunch money. And the, the a lot of the a lot of the features that are cool in Kotlin, you can find them in Java. And so with Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework Six rebasing off Java 17, I think the whole ecosystem is gonna rise quickly to Java 17, kind of like how everyone picked up Java eight. So I'm more interested in like let's go learn all the stuff from Java eight up through seventeen, as, as a personal investment in technology because I think because I think that's going to be a bigger payoff than catching up on Kotlin. That's just my take on it, but I know the
1: people that love it. Yeah, uh, I. So I'm a, i am I am I I I'm, I don't know that there's one that's better than the other unless you qualify it right. So. Like, if you're doing Android, then yeah, please don't don't even bother with Java. It's irrelevant. It's completely moot, you know. You, just, you should just learn Kotlin and just stay there. It's great because that's the only choice, really, these days for anybody building Android apps. Uh, if you're building server side, uh, Spring based apps, which I assume is probably the case, then yeah, um, like what Greg said, Java is full steam ahead. It's an awesome language. But you can also use Kotlin, but keep in mind, it's, it's going to have some drawbacks, right? It's going to have some issues, namely, um, uh, it has an SDK that gets added to your, your. you have to have a runtime, there's a small library that gets added to all your code so that when you embed it with another J- Java application, it doesn't just you know blow chunks because it's missing some of the uh, Kotlin collections and things like that. So that that little runtime footprint might be an issue, especially if you have different competing libraries that have different dependencies on different Kotlin language versions. Uh, that, so it's not great for publishing a library, but if you're building an app and you want to just integrate other libraries, yeah, that's a nice choice. Um, so Kotlin is still a more robust language than Java. It still has more syntax. It's still more elegant than Java. That's not, that's inarguable, right? It's got more features, therefore, it's got more ways to express things that you can than, than, than you can in Java, but that's it. Like he said, Java 17 is awesome. It's, uh, you know, it's great. But on the other, other hand, if you can't use Java 17, which is unfortunately sometimes the case, and you want like Java 20 like features? Use Kotlin. You can compile that down to Java 8, and still get really nice syntax. So it's it's. You, you should definitely learn Java. Obviously, if you haven't learned any of them, learn Java first. But then, where do you settle? I don't know. You know, it's what are your constraints? What version of Java are you running? Which the environment, uh, etc.
0: Amen. Here we've got the, the questions. Do not stop, and I like it that way. Let's keep the questions coming because YouTube algorithm also likes the questions too. So. What can we expect in Spring Boot 3 as develop as developer features like dev tools? Um, so I guess one thing to, to clarify on this for those of this maybe maybe some of you didn't catch it on the Spring One announcement from Jurgen is essentially Spring Boot 3 is um, um, gonna shortly be uh, it's gonna come out the snapshot release with the targets gonna be you know final GA release of Spring Boot 3.0 towards the end of next year. And it's gonna be based on Spring Frame Spring Framework 6.0. So, Spring Framework 6.0, they're 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 not only raising the baseline of Java up to Java 17 that we've been talking about, but also they're, um, I just lost my train of thought on that one. Uh, they're also, that's right, they're going to, for, for example, switch to Jakarta EE9, which is the version of these APIs like. Uh, uh, like Java mail java like servlets and stuff and this is the one where all they're doing is they're changing java X. servlet to jakarta.servlet so in a sense it it's almost like no impact to you if you write a web-based app you've got controller classes you you're gonna sort all this stuff up you're just going to move on a you know there's gonna be a newer version of a tomcat that's going to support this api it's, Jakarta e 9 isn't filled with lots of new features and functionality. It's essentially an, a namespace change because Oracle, for cryptic
1: reasons, wanted to hold on to Java X um, So, if, we, if you're using Spring MVC and you've got any references to anything in the Servlet API, which a lot of people do, everything is going to break. You're going to see a you're going to see an ocean of red, and it's going to be terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's just a find and replace away from being okay. Like, that's the like what what Greg has said is there's no impact to you. Mm-hmm. Unless you have those types, but even there, it's not a big deal. You just got to do a find and replace, and you'll be fine in a minute. But it does—it it is a little scary to see everything in a code base break. Like everything. You've got thousands of files that are all just red now. Like, ah, you know. Uh, thanks a lot, Oracle, uh, for that.
0: That's just beautiful. Nice. So, um, you know, and there's other things like Spring is the Spring team and, you know, Spring Framework, they're looking at components, for example, that nobody's used for like 10 years or something like that. Um, like uh, what are some of these uh, like tiles or something? Uh, there's some old like like old web technologies that we've supported like probably from the startup days.
1: Is JSP going away?
0: Uh, I don't know about sure. JSP. <laughs> I think you can still find the people using that if you really look hard. They, they, they work with the Emacs people. Um, but there's like, um, I think, for example, I, th- I, th- I think I learned from Sam Brandon today is there, I think they're kind of pulling out like the RMI stuff, for example. But, oh yeah. You know, RMI is something that I was like, I discovered that uh, the JDK had corva support built in with using, which is what RMI is, if you can dig underneath it. The joke was if they add anything more to the JDK, it will become sentient. And so anyway, the, RMI is something that people really don't use today, they tend to use Jackson or JSON for marshalling and demarshaling, and so RMI now is just a service area for security attacks. So it's like, okay, no one's using RMI, it's ancient technology to pull it out the way, I don't know, Microsoft intended with their non-Java compliant variation from predicting years zero. <laughs> That was one of the components. I remember I had a copy from back in college days of it was called Visual J plus Plus and it was Microsoft's version of Java that was not coffee cup compatible. So and they did not have RMI support in there. Yeah. But um so um basically it's you, we follow the blog sites. Josh publishes his a column every week this week in spring that he's been doing since 2010 because I remember he joined the team shortly after I did published his incredible thousand page tome of spring recipes and then started publishing a weekly blog article that he has kept up to this day and everything that's moving and grooving on spring boot three here. You'll find out as, as soon as it happens, he will link to it.
1: All the news that's fits to reprint with apologies to the times. Uh, the other thing that <laughs> you might like dev tools in that vein specifically, uh, check out the BuildPack support. They just released BuildPack support for something called Tilt. Uh, and basically, I don't know if you've tried out BuildPacks, but if, let's say you want to build a container uh, and you've got a job application and you got to get to production. And today, production means something like Kubernetes, uh, and that means a container. You use BuildPacks to easily take your artifact and turn it into a container. You can say, a maven, spring, hyphen, boot, colon, build, hyphen, image, and out comes a Docker image that you can then Docker tag and Docker push. But there's now just been added new support um, for tilt, T-I-L-T. Uh, and basically that'll automatically deploy your, you can say, hey, here's my um, Docker image, deploy it to this Kubernetes cluster. And then every time I compile my code here in my local environment using Visual Studio Code or IntelliJ or Spring Tool Suite or Eclipse or NetBeans or whatever, um, sync will automatically you know, chuck all those class files up into the container that's running and reload it. All right? so it'll restart the JVM for you as the application is running. Uh, and, you, and it's in production, it's in the, the production like Kubernetes cluster environment. So you can actually get fast feedback. You don't have to do com- get commit, get push, uh, and then wait for the whole CD pipeline to continue. You know? it, it's awesome. It's
0: I think what this is also feeding into is first of all, the fact that I need to call it Phil Webb and get him to come on to a future episode of Spring Boot learning. Because I think, I think the number of questions on this are going to be insurmountable. But what, Josh was just saying feeds into another question we had here, which was: as a backend developer, should I learn DevOps, for yes. example, Docker and Kubernetes? And if you didn't get the hint from what he just said,
1: yes. Yeah, uh, inarguably, you, I, you, you're not a developer unless you care about production. It's very simple. Like if you're mm-hmm. sitting there writing just code, hoping to God it will get get to production somehow, you're, you're you have failed your mandate, right? It's production is where we are valuable. We're not shipping software, we're not viable. So learn DevOps because that's how you get to product. Right? Software is meaningless in a void in a vacuum.
0: And to me Docker was Docker was kind of cute and interesting five years ago, but today it's a must-have. So I mean you it's it's not unreasonable today to, have, to expect people to have Docker installed on their work machines. And it's really cool that now you can build your you know, it's it's baked in now into the Spring boot plugins to say, build me a Docker container out of this app and I don't have to go scrape Stack Overflow and be able to figure it out. Um, and you can go start diving into Kubernetes if you need to. You know, that's, this is where you have to balance your your work time because Kubernetes is its own rabbit trail to go down and get more familiar with. Um, but a lot, I mean, all the cloud providers are. That's becoming the, the 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 lingua franca of cloud development is to know Kubernetes.
1: If I may, may if you'll permit me a little self uh, promotion, go find my video Kubernetes native Java and Spring tips. So, rolling tour of all things, Spring and Kubernetes. Not all, but a lot of things you'll need to get started. It's, 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 you couldn't pick. You couldn't have picked a better framework in which to, to build applications intended for Kubernetes. We'll put it that way.
0: Well, while I pulled the question, actually, if you want to go find the link to that video, you can go put it in the comments stream if you want to, Josh. Me? Um, How
1: do I do that?
0: Uh, you no, know, you can just send it to me on Slack, and I'll put it in the chat. And you'll think. Um in the meantime, I'm gonna go respond to our next question here. we keep them coming. When is it good? Like what's what are some use cases to use Spring MVC instead of say a JavaScript framework like Angular? And I wanna say the the, the 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 that that question is a little it's a bit of a mismatch because actually what Spring MVC provides for you is um I'm gonna pause and gonna copy this link and put it in the screen here. okay um so spring mvc you have a lot of different what you can do you can you can make it where you're going to define the back end routes that, that your app responds to whatever the deep links are and in that case you can put and on top of that spring mvc affords you the opportunity to pick a uh, you can pick a templating engine you can pick timely you can pick um uh, mustache is one of the other ones that we serve out of start.spring.io so you can pick that to hang your app inside and then at that point it's really what do you want to do? Do you want to do you want to code, do you want to use Angular to, to flesh it out, then you you know you want are using node.js then go find you know go find the plugins that work with job or sorry with maven or Gradle to go roll your app, compile it. I found out I was talking to Dan Vega in another live stream and I brought up Webpack and he's like oh webpack is so out of date and I'm like really okay, I don't write JavaScript for 18 months and it's out of date. But, you know, the, the toolkit you build to put on top of that, it's really up to you. So S- Spring NBC is sort of a nice, you know, foundation to hang your app on. Um, so whatever JS framework you would use, I would still put Spring NBC under it unless you're going to go reactive and then you need to use Spring Web Flux in this kind of part. And this is also feeding, and this also feeds, this is a similar question. Um, Josh, if you have to work on a full-stack web app, which technologies would you choose?
1: Uh, full-stack web framework? Yeah, I, like, the, there's no single thing that does that, uh, the way I would do it, right? Is that, is that the question, or if, it, if it's just like, which, which? oh, technologies, plural, not a single one. Yeah, okay, Um. yeah, I would, these days I use Vue.js and, and Spring, obviously. I mean, I love, uh, Vue.js, it's it, you know, React is fine, Angular is fine. I used to use Angular quite a bit, um, and uh, they, they then uh, they they went to TypeScripty in version two, and it was sort of like this is way more than I wanted. I just wanted to be able to add a script tag and, and get it going, and so I thought, oh well, I'm going to go find something that works as lightweight as possible, and I ended up going to Vue.js, and now I'm back where I started. I'm actually in a situation where Vue.js does all sorts of translation and all that stuff. But now I've kind of learned the Vue.js way of doing it and I quite like it, so I'm, whatever, it's fine. Uh, like my podcast uh, website, if you go there, beautifulpodcast.fm, it's a Vue.js application that I built um, that talks to a back in, the Spring API, you know, it's a, little, a little tiny example of that, right? But you can use whatever you want. And by the way, full stack, that's the, that's the web browser use case. Obviously, you've got uh, your iOS clients, which are going to be Swift these days statistically or... Or, uh Kotlin and the android ecosystem so you know but spring back spring boot that's the that's the uh, bit that's important right
0: um in the back end i was posting this that was a lot of information so um it's in it's it's down in the stream but uh josh oh, I missed the whole video but josh' got a video to go check out on kubernetes to catch up stuff there and and this keyboard i didn't have my shortcuts to put the emoji in for hearts but um i do know if you're wanting to get more into vue.js go check out my friend dan vega's channel He Um yeah. has a ton of videos on vue.js he's a really good instructor on that um
1: i dig well, it but, but again you can use
0: i don't you use what you want to
1: yeah i don't purport to be an expert on javascript i quite hate the language so or I'm, <laughs> not, it's not that i tolerate i loathe load it's language. active it's not
0: passive it's active um I do and know. if you're if you haven't if you didn't know this and i don't know how you would not know this but josh runs a podcast that he puts out on a you know on i don't know if he's able to run a schedule it's a crazy crazy rollout there but you can go to beautifulpodcast.fm and uh he, he goes and interviews just the, the minds and that are out there why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit more about your podcast there well
1: uh, thanks for that but yeah, the podcast is fun. A lot of really, really smart people, uh, including yourself, right? That was fun. We had you on once or twice. Um, no, but the the code for the website, the code for the podcast is actually github.com forward slash beautiful hyphen podcast and all the code. So, the website itself and the Vue.js code and the backend API is all there. Uh, so, if anybody has any, like, you know, if anybody knows more about Spring and JavaScript and wants to help instead of podcast, that's always welcome, people. I'm, uh, You know, I'm, I don't purport to know a thing, so... That's Cool, um, yeah. The podcast <clears throat> is, um, it, it's just me talking to people that are smarter than I am, and uh, I, I turn on, I tell them I'm going to turn the microphone, and they, they usually violently protest and threaten to leave, and then I just turn it on anyway. And the next thing you know,
0: we have a conversation. I did not know that was on GitHub, so I just posted a link to that. I mean, all right want... everybody this is we're we're filling up the live stream with tons of links and i get to go visit everything and that, you know, this like is right after you subscribe and hit the like button on this on this broadcast for our live stream all right and hey everybody let us know in the comments who do we need to talk to next who would you like to hear from from the spring community if we need to host another live stream like this and uh let me go back to the little banners so Oh, let me just as a quick reminder here, don't forget though, if you do want to grab a copy, you want to get a copy of this, and either paperback, ebook, or both, you can get them at 35% off if you use code Greg at packbub.com. I do want to thank Pack Publishing for partially sponsoring today's episode of Spring Boot Learning. And I hope to see y'all next time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on the stream, Josh. It's been a hoot and a holler.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you again.
0: All right. Cheers, everyone.